Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Second Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says this, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can be seated this morning. That is a tremendous statement from Peter. If you hold fast, make your election and your calling sure, there is a promise of the everlasting kingdom waiting for you. Let me be the first this morning to welcome you into the court, into the courthouse. The judge is here. Now, before you make a run for the door, I'm here to tell you that he's not here to judge you necessarily, but he's here to judge the one who vexes you. He's here to judge the one who takes you down, who distracts you, who causes you to forget what God has done to purge you from the things of this world. But you serve a judge, you sit before a judge who's ready to pass sentence on you, and here's his sentence. I give you grace, I give you mercy, I give you justice, I give you love. That's the sentence that he's ready to pass, but he's looking for something in us today. He wants to convict you. He wants to convict you of the crime of seeking him and loving him and wanting to serve him. He wants to convict you this morning. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the life of a convict. When we talk about a convict, and I say the word convict, you draw up images in your mind of, of a, perhaps a man in, in an orange jumpsuit, and arms and legs chained together, walking with the rest of the guys in trouble. And this world has a lot to do about that. This, this world has a lot of folks that are falling into the bounty of what it is that they've chosen to do, the God that they've chosen to serve. And they become convicts. And when you become convict, you're convicted in the court of law. You lose all of your rights. You lose everything, everything that belongs to you. Everything gets turned over to the court. Everything gets turned over to the prison that you're about to go to. 
Don't you laugh when people look at you and say, oh, you Christians, you can't do this, you can't do that. Oh, what a life that must be. You're imprisoned. But really, the ones that are imprisoned are the ones that have partaken of the things of this world, have listened to the God of this world, and subscribed to the things that they think that they are free to do. The Apostle Paul, many times in in his epistles, referred to himself as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Even when he was in prison, actually imprisoned, he did not say, I'm the the prisoner of the Roman Empire or of the governor or the magistrate. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't put him in the jail, but he was happy to be there because he was a prisoner of the right judge. And what he meant by that simply was that he's not a prisoner. He's not really a prisoner. He's actually very free. And so I want to challenge you this morning. I want to get into your mind today the real true meaning of what it is to be a convict, to have the conviction that we need to survive. You see, conviction is a measure of excellence. And if you're in this today and you're not striving for excellence, then you might as well try something else. The definition of conviction, as I read it and I found it, so that the act or pro- it is the act or the process of finding a person guilty of a crime, especially in a court of law. It's a strong persuasion or a belief. It is the state of being convinced. I want to talk to you this morning, my brothers and my sisters, and I want to challenge you to ask yourself, are you fully convinced of who you are and what you are today? Because I believe that if you can get a hold of real conviction... If you can get a hold of real conviction of who you are and what you stand for and what God is doing in your life, you can find success like never before. But most of all, as the Apostle Peter said in, this, in his message in the, in the first epistle, excuse me, the second epistle, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It also is defined as the act of convincing a person of error or of compelling the admission of a truth. Do you know that your very existence, your very existence is a conviction to the people who are not serving God? Your conviction in what you believe is the conviction they have for what they don't. Do you see the power that you could possibly have? See, folks, it comes back to this. The conviction has to be about who and what we are and what we're doing here and what our purpose is. And that is to seek and to save that which is lost. And I'm telling you today, there's a power within you. There is an an ability within you that you convince yourself through the teaching and through the learning and through the word and through who you are. There is a power within you to make an impact, to defeat the things that dog you, to defeat the things that vex you, to be convicted, to never go back to what the devil gives you and to what the devil offers you. You have a power to win over that. But then at the same time, when you make that defeat, when you make that win, you can turn and become powerful for the real judge. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 9, says this, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. If we serve the God of this world, if we keep a toe in, folks, if you're straddling the fence, if you know someone that is, if you're hanging on to a little bit, 
one little toe back in that old part of the world, you run a real risk of serving that God. Without conviction, without true conviction in who you are and what you believe and what you stand for, you run the real risk of serving the wrong God. Let's look at conviction versus the worldly view. You know, that, you know what political correctness is. Anybody hear the term political correctness? Let's look, at, let's look at conviction in terms of the way the world looks at it. It's a dirty word. You're closed-minded. You're silly. I had somebody tell me the other day, I was talking about my relationship with Jesus Christ, and that person said to me, I, I thought imaginary friends were for kids. That's harsh, isn't it? Shame on you if you're so closed-minded. If you hold the beliefs of the word of God, you're closed-minded, you're intolerant. How about that word we hear quite often these days? How about moral relativism? What stands today is what is most important, what, what prevails in the wind and flows back and forth. And if you don't go along with that idea, you're somehow a, a, a knuckle-dragging moron or a caveman or some brute out of another time that doesn't exist anymore. You're not enlightened well, folks, I'm here to tell you that I have a conviction in my life that I stand on the word of God and I will not be pushed into that direction. I will not accept what the world decides for me as politically correct. You ever hear of situational ethics? What's good is good that happens right now. See, permanence, permanence and an adherence to a solid law is foolishness today in the world's view. But look what the world offers people. Their freedom. We're in prison, right? Their freedom, what does it offer them? They can, they can partake of all the, the dalliances and, and the bad things of the world, the drinking and the drugs and the smoking. Oh, we're free to do all that. I guarantee you the product of every single one of those freedoms puts them in a prison eventually. Tell me the man that's laying in a hospital bed connected to oxygen tanks and multiple things over the years because he's dying from lung cancer doesn't feel like he's in a prison. Tell me the person who's locked up in a facility because he's trying to dry out from alcoholism tells me he's not in a prison. And yet we stand here in awesome freedom. Awesome freedom. Thank you, Lord. We stand here in a freedom that's given to us. Why? Because we're constrained, we're shackled, and we're imprisoned with the inability to go out and partake in, in those dalliances and not be infidels and cheat on our wives and our spouses and, and, and drink into drunkenness and partake of the, the sins of this world. What a prison that we live in when the byproducts of all of those things are nothing but destruction. This is the twist that the God of this world puts on this story, see? Stand there and judge me, oh, you Christians. What a, what a terrible life that must be. You can't do this and you can't do that. And the product of every one of those standards that we hold is nothing but freedom and bliss and joy. If any of you were experiencing, anybody here catch this song service this morning and feel what we were feeling here? There is no greater joy. There is no greater high. There is no greater freedom and no greater experience. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Get inside. I'm, I'm up here. I'm just feeling God's presence move back and forth and just enjoying this worship. And I hear all the people behind me worshiping. And I'm thinking, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're going to break out. One of these days, we're going to break out. 
We're going to become the Pentecostal apostolics of Acts 2.38 yet? You just watch out. If you've got conviction, if you've got conviction, if you get a hold of the conviction of who you are and what you are, you're going to light this place on fire. You're going to light this community on fire. We're going to get a hold of some people. I'm telling you, they can walk in a church in any place in the United States of America. They can get a good song. They can get a handshake. And they get a smiling face, even a message out of the word, even a goofball up at the, at the front here telling them what the scriptures say. But the one thing that they can't get in so many places is that Holy Ghost fire that you started to kindle up today, that Holy Ghost praise that was going on, that total freedom, that place where God loves to take us that pure worship. And I'll tell you, if you get that conviction in your heart and you light it up and they walk in here, you're gonna get them. You're gonna save that man from that hospital bed or that young person from that prison cell. You're gonna save that woman from, from suffering the pain of a divorce. You see what I mean? If you get a hold of the conviction, if you get a hold of the excellence that it means to be convinced of who you are and what you are, you're gonna impact this world. I said earlier, our conviction is what, in what we believe in is, is the conviction for those who don't. And I'll stand on that. I'd rather have conviction than be under it. Do you ever have people walk up to you and it just drives them crazy that you won't participate in the things that they participate in? Come on, have a drink. It's just one. Just, just drink a little bit. You know what? I'm just going to say, if you're new here, if you, you're fairly new, don't understand. We profess and we teach and we... we encourage that you completely and utterly and totally abstain from alcohol. Amen. Don't do it. Don't get involved with it. And I'll tell you why. Oh, whoa, hold on a second. Now the Bible doesn't say you can't drink. Nope. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. The Bible preaches against drunkenness. Can we agree that drunkenness is a sin? It's in the word. I can show it to you. They'll say, well, don't, don't tell me not to drink. The Bible doesn't say drink. Nope. It says drunkenness is a sin. But there's a couple of reasons that you don't do it, that you have a conviction about it. There's a principle that's there. Because you don't know at the time your body becomes inebriated from when it wasn't inebriated. You don't know the temperature of the air, the temperature of the liquor that you're drinking, or whatever the case is. The many factors that go into the place at which your body moves from sobriety to inebriation. You don't know that point. And so what are you doing if you're partaking in alcohol? You are pressing towards crossing that line. Why do it? It's nothing but poison anyway. It's literally poison that we're pouring into our bodies. Now, this message is not about drinking and alcohol. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just using that as an example. And if you're feeling conviction right now because that's part of your lifestyle, good. Because God will tell you that's a good conviction. I'm going to convict you, and here's your sentence. Freedom from the danger that you're messing with by taking that alcohol. Praise the Lord. That's the sentence that he'll give you. But my point is, it's danger. And you got to put it down and let it go. Here's the other bigger part. Here's the part I think maybe even, even more important than that. If you're trying to witness to the people out there, and they're struggling, and a lot of people, a lot of people, Brother and Sister Brown, a lot of people are struggling with alcohol abuse in this country, are they not? So if you're professing to be a Christian, and everybody knows what a Christian is, even if their view is negative of what a Christian is, oh, you're people, you're, you're goody-goodies that don't do anything, and you go to sleep at 9 o'clock on a Saturday night and boring. Even if that's their view, they understand this. 
we generally profess to stay away from alcohol, right? Even if they're criticizing us for it, they understand that's who we are. So if we partake of it, or if we begin to enter into a lifestyle of partaking of that, what have we done? We've destroyed our testimony. And then we wreck their conviction. Because then they're justified. And then their conviction eventually will be the result of drinking alcohol. In my view, our role in this matter, we have three responsibilities. We need a total and complete, and I'm saying total and complete commitment to Scripture. Now, if you're a person who's prone to say, well, it doesn't say in the Bible I can't do that, then you don't understand the nature of Scripture. See, there are principles that are established in the, in the Word of God. Principles that are there. There's no possible way. The Bible already says that the words of Jesus and the works of the, the apostles could fill up a world of libraries if they wrote it all down. There's no possible way they could denote everything. Right? But there's, so there's principles that are there. Principles about damaging the body and damaging the temple of the Holy Ghost. And here's what I learned, and I'll tell you who taught it to me because I like to embarrass him from the pulpit. Brother Matson was my Sunday school teacher. And this is something that Cliff always stood by. He said, in the word of God, there are principles. And to understand how to live by them, you find the principle of God and you establish a guideline. Simple, right? Simple process. So when people approach me and say, well, hey, Russ, how come you don't drink? I don't understand. Come on, it's no, I'm not asking you to get drunk. Just have one glass of wine. But I used to work in the, I used to work in the sales world. You guys know that. I've mentioned it before. And in the sales world, they do two things. Well, three things. They sell. And they drink and they smoke. And every, Michael's laughing over there because he knows. Everywhere you go to, they celebrate wins, they celebrate sales, they, everything's smoking and drinking, right? And so occasionally they would bring stuff into the office and they'd hand out little champ, plastic champagne glasses. And, and I don't know why. They always understood who I was and I was always convicted about who I stood for. I never threw it in their face, I never got on them or nothing. It just would happen this way. That when it was time for them to do that, they'd say, here Russ, we got you some sparkling grape juice. Isn't that nice? That's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God because I, I, didn't t- I didn't get in their face and criticize them or attack them. They weren't shoving it in my face all the time. Oh, come on, just have one. But I have had that. I have had that happen. And so I've had people come to me and say, well, what, why do you do that? What, well, I don't understand. The, whole, the Bible doesn't say you can't be drunk. I'll say, listen, I'll hearken back to my days when Brother Matson was my Sunday school teacher. And I'll say, look, here's, here's a principle that I live by. You know I'm a man of faith. Yep, yeah, I know you go to church. And I said, in the word of God, it, it does say that there's a specific aspect to drunkenness. Yep, yeah, I get it, I get it, I know. I said, here's my principle. I don't drink anything at all, alcohol radiated, ever. Here's the guideline. Number one, it's poison. <laughs> now, I don't need to be a Christian or look in the Bible to look at a, a poison and say, I probably shouldn't consume that into my body. I learned that when I was in, you know, three years old. The little green stickers with the face on it. Remember that? Mr. Yuck, that's right. But then I would go down the list and I would explain to them, here are my guidelines. I don't want to push the envelope. I don't want to be a bad witness to somebody. I don't want to partake of something that could push me over from being not drunk to drunk. I just don't want to do the things that could put me in a situation where I would do something that I would then feel conviction about. 
and be, feel sinful. I don't want to feel bad about what I'm doing. Do you understand? And they, oh, okay, I get that. I understand. See, the world is just so prone to going out and doing what feels good and woohoo, drinking is great, it's awesome. And I think, how do you not remember the hangover the next day? You ever see somebody like that? I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands, but if you've been in this condition, you know what I'm talking about. But see somebody come into work the next day? I messed up my hair, can you tell? I don't know why I just did that. Pretend my hair is long and it's messed up. And they come walking in and they're, you know, and the ties over like this and they're, oh, that was a great party last night. And they And they look destroyed, like somebody ran them over with a truck five or eight times. And they don't remember, and they don't understand, because they don't put the two and two. There's no conviction about what they're doing. There's no no understanding of what they're doing to themselves. And yet you and I, as a presence before them, represent a conviction, and they don't even realize it. You have people do that? Just get, they're like agitated with you. Why? Because you represent something to them that they know that they should be. And you have a power in that, in how you handle that. Another responsibility is a firm hold on biblical convictions, which is exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what all of them are or what they should be, get into a Bible study. Get a hold of it. If anything, if you're striving for excellence in anything that you're doing, you should strive for excellence in your walk with God. And therefore... You should want to know exactly what it is to please God. And that would be your biblical convictions. And then next, the courage to act on those convictions. I'm telling you, it didn't take courage to say, no, thank you, I'd rather not partake of the alcohol. Well, why is that? Well, I just have a personal conviction, and here's what it is. And they know I'm a man of faith. I'm a person of faith. I make sure to share that. And you share that in love and in kindness. You're not beating them up. You're not judging them. You're not taking them down. But you're giving them a little hint, a little insight in just what it is to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Am I right? We've got to take hold of our convictions. Lack of conviction in the word and doctrine and what we believe allows for those things to be polluted. Okay, now I'm going to get a little serious for you right now. Brother Kylie's mentioned many times the old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. We cannot afford to get polluted, and this is what I mean by that. Okay, this is a warning for the church. It's a warning for me. If we are not convicted on the things that we stand on firmly, we will allow things to creep into our lives that do not belong. Now, you can take a barrel, a 50-gallon barrel of water, and you can take a dropper of sulfuric acid, and you can put three drops into that 50-gallon barrel of water. Now, over time, you can drink that 50-gallon barrel of water, and it won't hurt you. But I'll tell you what, if 25 gallons of that 50 gallons of water is sulfuric acid, you will die. How does it happen over time? Without conviction, without standing on what you believe, and firmly holding tight to that, you will allow those pollutants to enter your your world, into your life, and into your body. Now, there are ways that we allow those things to happen, and that's got to be up to you. A lot of conviction is between you and God. But this pastor is going to preach these things. This church is going to preach these things, and we're going to stand on the Word of God Why? Because we want to see you beat down? Because we want you to be embarrassed about mistakes you make? No, because we don't want to watch you walk off a cliff. 
God is not that God. See, I said to you early that the judge is here, but he's not standing here to judge you now to throw you into the fire. He's judging you now so that the sentence that he can portray on you, the sentence that he can offer you, is a sentence of freedom from those things. He's trying to pull you out of the way. Don't walk off the cliff. Don't keep on going in that direction. He's the guy that's standing there saying, please, please, turn. Turn to the left or turn to the right, but don't keep walking forward. That's what a pastor does. That's what I see this pastor do every day of every week, reaching out to people, counseling, ministering, visiting, preaching from this pulpit, saying, please, please, don't keep going forward. Don't let that thing in your life. Don't put that toe in that water. That's what we're here for. And it's because we love you. And he loves me and I need that. But we got to get our convictions. We cannot get polluted with the things of this world. These ideas that I shared with you earlier, this idea that, that having convictions is somehow dirty or bad. You have to accept everything. Be accepting of everybody. If you partake it, this world philosophy is always trying to beat its way into the church. Always. How many of you in here are afraid to ever even mention anything about your personal convictions of the LBTQ community? Got quiet. Now, I'm not saying you hate those people. I'm not saying you judge them. I'm not saying you attack them. But what I'm saying is, is when you're forced with it, when you're faced with it, you've got to be willing to stand and say, no, I'm sorry, I do not agree with that lifestyle choice. I stand on the word of God. I believe a certain way. And what I want to do is I want to help that person. I want to reach out to that person and show them the word of God. Your convictions, your desire for excellence in this walk with God will hold you and in my view, probably save you. Without them, I don't know how you're going to make it. If you do not have convictions in what you believe and what God has done for you and what the word of God says, I just don't see how we're going to make it. You've got to be convicted. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 28, 27, excuse me, verse 27 and 28, says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what that said? We're warning them. It's our job to warn them. It's our job to try to keep them from walking off the cliff. We've got to get our convictions in order and then we've got to prepare to help them be convicted. Because if you can convict them through your words, it says in wisdom, in kindness and in love, but if you can convict them just a little bit, then you get to pass sentence, just like the judge, and here's your sentence. I wanna see you saved. I wanna see God do awesome things in your life. I wanna see your family saved. I wanna see your mom healed. I wanna see your, your finances come back. I wanna see your marriage saved. That's the sentences that you can be passing on to these people as you're convicting them in wisdom with the word of God. I'm going to close with this, and it's a rather lengthy passage, but I'll explain why I'm sharing it with you today. 2 Peter chapter 2, 
Listen to this word and tell me if we couldn't all do just a little bit better getting a hold of our convictions and deciding who we are. Your convictions will tell you that the church is open and the services are going and I need to be there. Abundant Life meets 9.15 on Sunday mornings, 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights, and then we have occasional services, visitors, other programs, leadership training, and things that happen on other days. Your convictions will tell you you need to be there. We have prayer nights. I want to tell you about some convicted people right here, brother and sister Lauren and Aaron Brown. Here's a couple of young people. Amen. A couple of young people that have a conviction in their heart. They are so convicted about the Friday night para program. And they're gonna, they said, they've told me, Brother Cordell, we're going to be here. I don't care if we're the only people here. I don't care if people come for five minutes, ten minutes, two hours. We just want to see people come. Just take one day and come in and give yourself to God and be in part of that prayer. And they're here every single week. They are convicted that this is the thing to do and will help continue to grow abundant life and reach people and help you. Excellent conviction. That's one example. There are young people and old people, actually, in our Jonathan Project who are are hearing and learning the leadership stuff that we're teaching, the things that God is giving us, the future that's being projected for Abundant Life Church, and they have conviction that they're going to move forward and get a hold of what God has got for them and become a part of what's happening in here, stepping up and saying, I want to do something for the kingdom. I want to be useful. I want to be a useful part of this team. I've had young people step up to me and say, Brother Cordell, I want to do something. What can I do? Let's get together. I want to talk about what I can do in the kingdom. That's conviction. That's a good conviction. Because you know what their sentence is going to be? Blessing upon blessing upon blessing for being a part of what God's doing in this church. 2 Peter chapter 2 says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. Bring in, now listen to that term, bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. This world, even people that call themselves Christians, churches that exist, speak evil of the truth because it's inconvenient for them. Because they have no conviction about the total content of the word of God. Churches that are speaking evil of the truth. And through covetousness, they shall, with feigned words, make merchandise of you. These churches, these false Christs, these prophets out there, they're making merchandise of people. Well, you know what that means? They just want you there in the seat so that when the basket goes by, you'll put something in it. That's what that means. So how do you make merchandise of men? How do you, how do you make sure that they stay and they keep filling your coffers? I'll tell you how. You don't preach conviction. You don't stand on the word of God completely. You teach them all this fancy stuff like accept the Lord as your personal savior and then go live your life however you want to. Just make sure you're back here on Sunday morning for 15 minutes with your wallet and your checkbook out. That's how you make merchandise of men. You lull them into a sense of of inoculation in the doctrine and don't teach the truth and convict them with the word. 
It says, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Did you hear what he said? See, the God that I told you was here, the judge that I told you was here, this is, this is the judge of grace. This is the judge of grace. His sentence is freedom, is forgiveness, is mercy. But see, on the other side, when the rapture happens, when the dead in Christ rise, when the trumpet sounds, yeah, it's a whole different ball game now. Now he becomes the judge that stands with the books and the book of life. And if your name's not written in it, and your, name, and your life isn't coinciding with the books, he's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I knew you not. He says it right here in scripture. Bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overflow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. What he's saying is the people who come down the road, the people into the future who decide to live ungodly, here's the example that I give you. See, the good, ju- the good God, the judge of grace that's here today, becomes the hard judge after the rapture happens. That's when the cities start burning to ash and the people stand before him and there is no more chance. There is no grace after that point. And we need to share that with them. And turning, excuse me, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. If you're not pained by the things that you see, that people are trying to thrust upon you, that the world is thrusting upon these young people, the filthiness and the sickness and the music and the videos. Young people, you need to have conviction about how you're living for God because this world is going to continue to come after you. It's going to continue to try to cram this stuff down your throats. And we stand by and watch it happen sometimes without conviction. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, meaning the rule over them, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not. They are constantly attacking the church. The media, the government, the people of this world constantly attack the church because they just don't get it. And there's a punishment waiting for them if we can't reach them. Goes on to say, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, 
clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, here we go, just like I said a moment ago. Oh, you smoke cigarettes. It's fun. You're cool. There's liberty in that. See, I'm, I'm free to do what I want. Drink that alcohol. It relaxes you. It's, it's social. Get together. You have the freedom to do that. Do you know that it's not against the law for you to go out and cheat against your wife? But what a destructive, destructive and horribly painful thing to do. That's the liberty that they're preaching. For, they, for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was being overflowed with water perished, hearkening back to the days of Noah, as I mentioned earlier. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly, of ungodly men. It was destroyed by water once, folks, and it's not going to be not water the next time. It's going to be fire. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but in long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And I apologize, I skipped to Second Peter 3 there. Uh, starting at verse four is where I started, I apologize. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, blameless, and account that the long-suffering our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom, giving unto him written unto you, also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do all, also the other scriptures unto their own disruption. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, be aware, lest ye also being led away with error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both for now and forever. Amen. Now, all of that was to simply say this. You have the opportunity. Those things that are hard to understand, you have a church. You have a pastor. You have the opportunity to study. You have an opportunity to get a hold of those epistles and get within you every bit of the recipe that you need to continue to be convicted about who you are and what you stand for. It's here for you now. But as it said, the Lord comes as a thief in the night. At the last trump, the trumpet will sound. Think of this for just a moment. There is going to be a day where it's going to happen. And if we are not ready, that's it. He's gone. There is no more Holy Ghost. There is no mercy. There is no more grace. Some will wake up that day and realize, I missed my chance. Imagine the horror. Imagine the fear just the outright terror that is going to become those that know this truth but didn't hold their convictions.
We got to stop playing, folks. You can stand this morning. I don't know if anyone's coming to the piano. We got to stop playing around. It's time to get serious. It's time to seek that excellence. It's time to look over the inventory of our convictions and determine are we in this or are we not out in this? Or are we out? We can be hot or we can be cold. A hot drink is just as tasty as a delicious cold one on a, on a, on a hot day. But a lukewarm one, God says he will spew out of his mouth. Conviction will make you hot or it will make you cold. But you cannot afford to be lukewarm. So God is delivering his conviction today and I hope, I hope, I'm feeling it. I want you to understand something as I prepared for this, as God gave me this message. The conviction on me, the conviction. I shared some things with Brother Kylie. There's things I can be better. I can always improve. I wanna step up my prayer time. I wanna step up my Bible study work. I got classes I'm planning for the young people that we're gonna talk about becoming disciples and it's gonna be a, a leadership class in, in witnessing. And I wanna get these guys together. They're hungry to learn. And I feel conviction to improve my prayer life and improve my activity and do what I can to reach out. Have I spoken to the right people? Have I done enough? I want to ask myself every day before I put my head down on the pillow, have I done everything I can do as God would have me do it today? God's delivering his conviction today. He's preparing to sentence you to a life of forgiveness, grace, Mercy, joy, and victory. The question is, will you be convicted today? Will you be convicted today? Join me. Come on down and join me and say, God, convict me, convict me, convict me. I know I can do better, and I want to be ready to go. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.